Welcome to Getting to Know Pedra. In this 10th anniversary special, I'm chatting with our executive director, Mike Siegel, to look back on our last 10 years together and talk about the future of our organization and where we're headed next. You can celebrate with us all year long by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pedra Research. We're also on YouTube and LinkedIn by searching for the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. Thanks so much for being here today, Mike. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. So I just want to start with, you know, if people are just coming to Pedra for the first time, tell us what Pedra is. Pedra is a tremendously vibrant and exciting organization to be a part of. We are a nonprofit 501c3 research alliance committed to the mission to create, inspire, and sustain research to prevent, treat, and cure childhood skin disease. Our efforts span all childhood skin diseases to the best of our abilities, and we are constantly thinking of creative ways to advance towards that mission. So where our focuses currently lie are around education, providing centralized research infrastructure to support scientists conducting investigations in the field, and um, uh, convening a community uh, around events like our annual conference to empower, connect people, and drive folks towards uh, the shared goal of improving the lives of children through research. I would share that we are a, a large and robust membership community of almost 600 people spanning all different career stages, and uh, we are constantly making efforts to welcome additional people to the fold, whether they come from a patient advocacy background, industry, uh, other areas uh, that are in some way related to the field. Um, we're, we're all about bringing people together and advancing towards a shared goal. And it has been a wild ride over the last 10 years, getting Pedra off the ground and then getting to this point where you mentioned we have almost 600 members as part of the network now. So let's, before we dive into the strategic side of, of Pedra and all of those accomplishments that we're making toward the field, let's just talk about some of the changes that have occurred over the last 10 years. So we went from having you know, just a handful of members 10 years ago, which really was our co-founding team, to now upwards of 600 members. And can you talk a little bit about what our membership looks like? Sure, I'd be happy to. And it's, it's really astonishing. I was just the other day looking back at recent metrics from past years, and I can hardly believe when I see as recently as 2019, we had fewer than 300 members. And membership just continues to climb I do like to say that our membership growth is healthy, as all of, I think, our growth patterns are. We're not skyrocketing for the sake of skyrocketing in any kind of metric related to PEDRA. Our membership is really evolving to be an extremely diverse and um, representative and robust group of individuals. So if you look back in the early days, like you said, there was sort of the founding core of leaders in the field of pediatric dermatology, people who conceptualized the idea of a research network that drove research forward uh, through collaboration and centralized infrastructure. In the early days, the idea was around building this network, so actually having a network of individuals to, to conduct the work they were interested in conducting. If you look back at the early PEDRA conferences as kind of a snapshot of the membership at that time, I think the first PEDRA conference in 2013 had 40 or 50 people at it. Uh, and then you look at our most recent 2021 virtual event where we had 380 registrants. 
And we have, again, climbed steadily in a healthy way from the days in 2013 to what we have now. But the, the membership composition, it's uh, composed to a great extent of clinician scientists, so established academic researchers in the field of pediatric dermatology. They make up almost half of our membership, just under half, I would say. Beyond that, you start to see really exciting numbers of early career investigators and trainees with particularly recent growth in the student category. So we see a great appeal to getting involved in pediatric dermatology research to the up and coming people in the field. So folks I like to tell others will be the next Amy Paller in 20 or 30 years. You know, you're looking for, for who the leaders in the field will be down the road. And these are the people who make up our membership at that kind of trainee and early career level. So these are people very enthusiastic, brilliant, creative, wanting to make connections, do more with their careers moving forward. And they see PIDRA and the, the network that we have in place as being a great place to do that. So would you say one of the sort of unintentional outcomes of PIDRA has been kind of expanding the field a bit, like we're putting more pediatric dermatologists into the field now, or maybe just opening the doors, I guess, to those medical students and those residents who might've been interested, but didn't know how to come in is kind of the, the network expanded that. I would say so. Yeah. I, the, you know, we're not alone in, in trying to drive, the field of pediatric dermatology forward. We work very closely with our strong ally, the Society for Pediatric Dermatology, in support of the overall career path, as well as other dermatology organizations to, to make sure that we have a healthy workforce in place to support the clinical needs for patients. But PEDRA has definitely done something there. So it's I like to think we brought an energy. We brought a, a very tangible sense of community and around research. And this culture within PIDRA has evolved really nicely along with advances in the science behind childhood skin diseases. So you look 10 years ago, there were, were not a lot of, if any, drugs on the market to manage pediatric skin diseases. We were kind of just beginning to understand some of the basic biology that underlied some of the diseases that we were facing. And in that time, over 10 years, we've seen some astonishing changes. We've seen drugs come to market. We've seen the elucidation of pathways down to nitty gritty details for uh, diseases like psoriasis, atopic dermatitis, some of the genetic uh, 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 skin conditions. And people considering what they're gonna do with their medical career, their research career can look at this and get excited. And, and, and furthermore, look at it and be excited that they wouldn't be alone if they were pursuing these sorts of endeavors. So. You want to do clinical research, there's a community there to support you. There's interesting research questions. There's a direct connection to the patient community who ultimately you hope your outcomes will be supporting and a number of other opportunities and partnerships in place to really get you jazzed about being a part of your uh, community and doing the work you want to do. So I, I do like to think that we're tipping the scales in favor of the, the workforce. And I think that moving forward, we're going to see even more of a drive toward that as we see more tangible outcomes, more actual interventions that we can provide to patients through the research, the activities of a group like PIDRA that will really motivate people to want to get involved. 
So this is a great time then to talk about the research. Let's talk about how the research has really grown in the last 10 years. And then we'll sort of talk about where we're headed with the research in the future. You touched on this briefly just in that last question, but could you kind of explain expand a bit more on the impact that the research Peter has done in the last 10 years has had on the field. You can look back and sort of trace the evolution of Peter's research activities. There's a number of different ways you can do this. One way is you can look at the, the composition of our collaborative research groups. So uh, at the very beginning, Peter was about bringing groups of investigators together to collaborate on specific disease areas or research topics to pull data, share ideas, and move things forward more quickly than would ever happen if anybody was working on their own. In those early days, we had four collaborative research groups. And just a couple months ago, we welcomed our 10th collaborative research group. So we've evolved the structure of the group. So we now call them focused study groups. If anybody ever hears that term kind of tossed around, but these are groups of investigators at all career stages from different geographical areas and different areas of expertise who come together behind a shared interest in a specific research topic or idea to work together. Just looking at that, you might get a good picture of how our activities have evolved from maybe 40 investigators working around the tables at the very first conference in 2013 to hundreds of people who make up each of these focus study groups now. Other ways that you can look at the growth of Peter's research and the impact that we're having. One very clear indication is our publications. So PIDRA keeps a close eye on publications that result from the grants it gives out, as well as the activities of its collaborative research groups. And you look back at the first few years of PIDRA while we were getting our footing and, and just growing in the early days, papers were coming together and coming out at kind of a modest pace. And just in the past few years, we are seeing, at least for now, exponential growth in our number of papers year over year. So we had six publications under the PEDRA banner in 2019, 12 in 2020, and then 21 publications just last year with many more on the horizon. So we know papers are going to come and publishing a paper isn't the end all be all. You know, we are all about improving the lives of patients and families who are coping with pediatric skin diseases, but showing the tangible peer-reviewed output of the work that our investigators doing is really encouraging. It shows how productive people have been. It shows the evolution of the ideas that are coming to the forefront, the collaboration and the productivity and the output of PEDRA investigators. So that's another metric. And then the final metric I want to mention is a look at the PIDRA grants program. PIDRA is about serving as this hub for centralized infrastructure and education and community that I mentioned, but we do acknowledge the need for tangible financial resources to support research in the field and have been very proud to see an evolution of our competitive grants program in recent years. So not quite exponential growth as we'd seen in publications recently, but we've grown from just a few years ago, investing about $100,000 through three different competitive grant mechanisms to support early stage research projects and careers. To this past year, 2021, we'll be investing more than $400,000 in the field, uh, in investigators conducting research in the field, through seven different programs. So putting resources out to support investigators, conducting research is just another metric that we can look at to see the growth of our impact. Where, where are we headed in these next 10 years? Yeah, great question. That's, that's a big one. One thing that is really exciting about PIDRA is that we are, as a community, and I'm not talking about us as staff, but we are as well also, creative, 
uh, nimble, responsive, um, constantly trying to learn, see what we could be doing differently. So see what we could be doing more of. Always, whether it's a span of a week or a month or a year, three years, we are looking at what we can be doing in that time frame to better support our community. So looking at that kind of quality to our organization and our network, we always did webinars. Going back to the early days, we had you know a webinar from Beth Trollet on how to negotiate your position. We had different things that were interesting to our community, kind of one-offs here and there. Things were presented at the conference, for example. And then just in the past two years, really with the onset of the COVID pandemic, realizing there was this move towards virtual education. There was more interest from the audience side and attending webinars, listening to podcasts, while the need for sharing information was just growing as we were, the field was expanding, new therapies were coming out, new burdens were emerging, new clinical research areas were evolving in areas where there never was one. We were able to look at that and very quickly mobilize with a lot of thanks to you, Jen, and put in place an educational program. Just let's start doing webinars. We'll learn from partners. We'll learn kind of as we go. Um, and, and we'll put something out for which there is really a need. We saw the need and we responded very quickly. And our grants program has evolved in a similar way. We had programs that were very responsive to the needs of the field uh, in the early days. We had research grants that supported pilot projects, team projects, and a career development award uh, running collaboration with Society for Pediatric Dermatology and very quickly saw needs to provide support, low-level support to active PEDRA studies. So we launched a study support grant program. We saw a need to provide mentorship to trainees looking at our membership composition while also providing very able research support to ongoing projects for senior investigators. Identifying that need led immediately to the formation of our research fellowship program. Uh, looking at another grant offering that we have, the Childhood Eczema Challenge Grant that we run in collaboration with the National Eczema Association, that came from a, a very immediate recognition of the evolving field around pediatric eczema, a very close collaboration we have with patient advocacy groups in that space, and moving to put in place a competitive and successful grant program just two years ago in support of that. And having the infrastructure we have in place now, having the educational kind of backbone, having the research backbone, there's always ideas coming to the forefront around what we can do, what can we do more of? So can we provide more relevant education to investigators as they're trying to get a study off the ground? That idea is percolating through. I see us coming out with that very soon. Can we do more to educate early career investigators? I do also expect us to be providing more specific support to different components of the investigator's career. So it's not all about early career investigators. What's, what are the challenges faced by a mid-career investigator? How can we support them? Or what are the challenges faced at a different stage of a research project that might not be startup or kind of a typical roadblock? What are we seeing that is a new roadblock and new thing for us to address emerging? And how can we tackle that? Always having our ear to the ground, looking for those sorts of things. I, I see that feeding directly into our education and our grants programs. Yeah, I didn't, don't think I, I really touched on where we're going to be in 10 years here, but I expect to see a lot more and, and none of it just for the sake of doing more. It is going to be for the sake of satisfying an actual need with a strategic and thoughtful response that really provides a strong and meaningful investment in the field and the investigators who are part of it. I think that's a really important point to make. I know that Pedra, you know, as an organization recently went through a strategic planning process and really looked at sort of three key categories and how we might be able to really thoughtfully expand and 
provide resources in those categories um, than being community research and communication. And I wondered if you could speak a bit to those. Be happy to. So we we did just recently go through a, a strategic priority setting process. So I stopped short of calling it a strategic planning process. I always do this, and for anyone who's heard me say it before, sorry to make you listen to it again. But really, because of our strength as a, a nimble and creative and responsive organization, leadership did not see a need to kind of put in place a highly detailed roadmap for exactly what we're going to do over the next three to five years. We we know we're going to stay true to our mission, our vision. We are going to be creative, we're going to be tactical. And relying on those qualities, what they did was put in place three strategic priorities, the ones you just named. So communication, community, and then research. So some kind of broad terms, but thinking deeply into each one, you see how giving us a focus on those things will help us move strategically forward towards our our vision and, and mission. So around community, I've already said a few times, we're really proud of our vibrant and diverse community that has grown significantly in recent years. At the same time, we know we are not perfect. We know there are others who we would strongly benefit from involving more deeply within the PEDRA community. So groups that were identified by leadership through this process were folks like basic scientists, um, individuals from diverse backgrounds, doing more to deeply engage the training membership that we have in research in a meaningful way in different activities, different things, so that we are looking at kind of every facet of the PEDRA community. We're welcoming everybody who wants to be a part of it and providing support with the resources that we have to move us all forward together. So that's one thing around community. Around the communication piece, so like every other organization on earth right now, there is a challenge with communication. So there's a lot of emails that go out. There's a lot of social media messaging. There's there's a very robust pipeline of information that everybody is exposed to every day. So while that is the case, we are also investing deeply in, in new resources and new programs. But if we're going to be making those sorts of investments, we need to make sure that people know they exist. People can access them. They're aware of them. We don't want to put out a new grant program and then launch it into the woods where no one can respond to it. We want to make sure that we have a program that is both thoughtful, strategic is what we want to do. And then the right individuals, everybody who would want to know about it is aware. So we haven't cracked this nut. Certainly at this point, we work hard to control our email messaging. We try to work through every available channel, uh, channel of information sharing in a responsible way. Uh, sorry if we ever don't do that because two emails, too many emails go out, which is inevitable, but we do our best. And we're going to be working really hard to be strategic about this moving forward. Another thing we want to do more of is share the human element. So we have this community that I've mentioned a few times. We want to make sure that the human element, who it is that make up PEDRA, are really coming through in our messaging. We're not a robot that's out there kind of preparing a grant RFA or providing centralized services. It's all about people at every level. It's the patients we're serving. It's the investigators. It's the staff. It's the leadership. It's the partners. And making sure that that is coming through with our messaging is something else we intend to prioritize. And then research, the final thing, we're all about research. We're a nonprofit research organization, first and foremost. Our mission is all about research. And we intend to continue looking for ways to better invest in our centralized research infrastructure to provide support that matters to people. So identifying what it is that can be most important to the eventual impact of a research endeavor and along with that, to be connecting what we're doing to patient priorities as well. So that's a big thing. We need to be making sure that what we're doing matters to patients, the ultimate stakeholder 
for all of our activities. And so the research that we're doing is always there and us keeping a close eye on what it is we're doing with that through the course of this next period of our existence is, is the final portion of that, that list of strategic priorities. So Mike, one question that I get asked a lot when I'm telling somebody who doesn't know about PEDRA, about PEDRA, um, and I explain we're a research collaborative, we're working to end childhood skin disease through research. Everybody looks at me and says, okay, how? So could you talk about how we actually support our physicians and our scientists? Sure, I'd love to. And this is something, I think, a very important topic to discuss, actually, because you might look at PEDRA and you can't look at what we are doing and say, oh, PEDRA enrolled X number of students into clinical trial Z. PEDRA did not do exactly this kind of frontline action to see an immediate response. You know, right. We, we're not a drug company. We're not, we're sort of working behind the scenes. So right. yeah. So let's peel back. Right. right. Which is what we're doing. So I, I use the words equip and empower all the time because what we are really doing, we are providing fundamental infrastructure, fundamental support to the community of people who want to do research in the field of pediatric dermatology. So nobody can kind of skip straight to the finish line and start doing meaningful frontline work in the field. What we need is basic research to be done. We need observational studies to be done. We need a large cohort of research-ready scientists who are dedicated to the field, interested in the field, working in the field in some way. So you kind of peel back the onion a few layers before you get to that and you look at, well, what is at the center of this onion? And that is what PEDRA is doing. We are bringing people together virtually and in person through things like our conference, through other activities throughout the organization throughout the year. We are providing education to make sure that people have the ability, they have the knowledge to do what it is that they want to do. We're providing funding to make sure they have the resources available for them to do what it is that they want to do. We are constantly keeping an eye on needs in the field so that we have a, 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 this kind of circulating ball of, of, of ideas and creativity so that when the ultimate kind of finish line is reached, you can trace it back to where this core was. And, and I do say very confidently that Pedro is at the core um, of, of activities in this field through looking at this very deep level of what it is we're doing. We are investing in the people and the projects that are going to go on to make a difference in the field of pediatric dermatology. I think some of the ways that we've been able to make those investments has been, has directly affected how a researcher can get their work done. So for example, we recently hired a biostatistician to help support projects in need of stats. So can you talk about some of those like tangible research support items that we offer? Of course. We, we say we provide centralized research support and we do. So we have a dedicated staff person who is a research coordinator, Catherine Devonport, who is available to provide centralized support to our collaborative research groups, the focus study groups, as well as individual investigators or project teams to help them with really whatever they need within reason to help move their projects forward. So she can help with things like collating edits for an a manuscript and helping with submission of a manuscript. She can support correspondence between 
investigator teams. She can help with documentation, study startup kind of things. She, she's available for really, I like to say whatever you need. And if she can't do it, she'll let you know, but she's available for that. And I expect the, the needs for Catherine and other individuals like her to continue to grow. Just that person who is available when a clinician scientist is not, because a clinician scientist is typically doing their research work in this field late at night on the weekends. They have family obligations. They're not always there to, to just keep, their, keep pushing a project forward. And Catherine's there to help with that. In addition, we, as you just mentioned, just recently hired just last year, a centralized biostatistician who is available to provide stats support to PEDRA investigators conducting PEDRA studies. Biostats having been identified as a common obstacle for investigators in the field, PEDRA went in, we are making an investment to a very high level expert biostatistician available for a simple conversation to help you plan a study all the way up to full-on study support resulting in a manuscript uh, on which the biostatistician can do data analysis, figure creation, everything like that. Beyond that, we are looking at other ways that we can provide support. So we have a very active studies committee whose, whose job is to move our research forward through these sorts of resources. One thing they recently invested in as well was a, a Survey 101 educational module. So surveys being a very useful method for data collection for studies in any field, including ours, are not as easy as putting out a list of questions and sending it by email. There's a very, there's a, a right way of doing things to make sure data is, is strong, the conclusions are strong, and things like response rates are optimized, those kinds of things. So we were able to invest in a an educational module to support that kind of activity. And, and then the group is looking at doing a lot of other things. So next up on our, our list would probably be addressing data use agreements. So something that has been identified as a common obstacle for investigators conducting multi-site research studies. And another nut we haven't cracked just yet, but we have a task force looking at it and Pedro is looking at ways to provide a, an investment to, to advance the field by simplifying through centralized support something like a DUA. And just another example of what I would expect to see coming in the very near term. You know, one thing that you mentioned a couple of times in there were um, committees and tasks, task forces. So a lot of people may not know that because PEDRA was founded and by a group of leaders in the field, at the time, there weren't any PEDRA staff to support them. So they sort of set up the structure of committees and there were essentially committees running the organization. And uh, those committees have largely stayed intact as PEDRA has grown and do a lot of our work. Can you talk a little bit about our volunteer committees? I'd love to. So we, we have a really uh, inspirational group of volunteer leaders who govern PEDRA as an organization. And it's been really interesting to, to watch this evolution of our leadership structure over the past 10 years, which I think is something shared by many nonprofit organizations in any different sector. But you look in the early days and funding is very limited. You're really operating on an idea, trying to sell the idea. You don't have the momentum, the inertia to carry an organization forward without the blood, sweat, and tears of volunteers doing everything. So the early days, the volunteers were doing everything. So the, the administrative infrastructure was at the hands of volunteers, but that is not practical nor sustainable, particularly for people who are trying to do research in the field of pediatric dermatology at 11 o'clock at night and on the weekends uh, to begin with. So 
over time, the volunteer leaders very early on saw there was a need for staff support. There was probably nine or 10 committees in the early days, uh, maybe more than that, that were running things. Early on, they brought on uh, Sheila Rittenberg as Pedra's first part-time executive director. Just uh, She was amazing. You can look at another Getting to Know You episode where Sheila was interviewed. Just transformative for Pedra as an organization. Her close ties to the volunteer leadership, creativity, the way she pursued partnerships and just built Pedra outside of itself to, to help position it for what it was going to become. We also in the early days relied on support from the Society for Pediatric Dermatology, I need to say, who provided administrative support for the organization. The idea for Pedra having grown up within that organization and, and was very gracious in, in supporting things like with bookkeeping support, that kind of thing for many years. Looking back at the last three or four years, you see some substantial changes. We now have a, a team of seven individuals who count as Pedra staff. This includes a biostatistician who I just mentioned. This includes a fellow who we bring on, a medical student who works on the administrative side, the social media oversight component of Pedra's activities. And then other folks, just a dedicated, really a team that I'm proud to work with. And I always say that, but people who care about our mission and vision to the same extent that the, the volunteer leaders do. So people who are here providing the support we need through research coordination, events management, membership development, everything is covered for the time being through staff support. And as the staff decisions come into place, we've been carefully sunsetting committees along the way. So people are busy, people, uh, volunteer leaders, not that they don't want to do more, but realistically, they can't always be on the phone doing committee meetings, thinking about these nitty-gritty details of Pedro. So we've condensed the, the leadership within volunteer leadership to, to live with the executive committee and the board of directors as much as possible. And then we have eight different committees in place um, um, to, to oversee the, the, the overall governance of Pedro, um, while the administrative tasks have moved over to Pedro's staff. And this feels like a really healthy approach for now, and I think it's going to continue to be that. One thing I want to be careful of, though, you know, we look at our membership composition. We have all these young and energetic early career folks, trainees. I don't want to get to a point where we don't have committees available for them to get involved and contribute their expertise, contribute their creativity, and evolve within the organization. So that's something that everyone has a close eye on. We certainly have plenty of committee seats available now. Despite the trend to downsize committees, we actually see the growth of more. So just last year, we added a brand new equity, diversity, and inclusion committee. So we are not to the point where we're saying no more committees because there's too, too many calls in the night. We are always looking for the needs that have to be satisfied. And uh, that's a perfect example with equity, diversity, and inclusion being such an important thing for us to be focused more on within the field, within our organization, within our leadership. We were able to mobilize quickly behind this really important issue in society at the, at the present time and put in place a committee where many individuals are interested in getting involved. And it would expect us to, to do similar things moving forward without being too put upon by the idea of having too many evening meetings and that kind of thing. I joined Pedra in 2016 and I had extensive nonprofit experience prior to coming to Pedra and never in my experience have I seen an organization work so harmoniously with its staff and its committees and its leadership. And it's so impressive to me how 
everybody has maintained their eye on the goal and everybody has their eye on the mission and everybody is working thoughtfully and carefully to make sure that that mission stays front and center. And it's really exciting to be a part of this organization. And I think whether you're on a committee or whether you're staff or whether you're somebody interested in leadership positions in on committees in the future, I just say, you know, it is such a, a warm, thoughtful organization and everybody really does work really well together. I'm very proud to be a part of that. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. And I'm, I'm very proud to work alongside you and culture matters for any organization. And it's, it's inherent to Pedra. There is a really strong culture across every layer of the organization. And, um, you know, when people are too busy and this is inevitable, people are busy, they have other priorities they are trying to balance. It's never, um, they always want to do more, I would say for Pedra than they can. And it might be a frustration over being unable to necessarily deliver what it is you want to, but this came through in our strategic priority setting exercise as well, kind of the harmony across groups. We actually ran two concurrent priority setting exercises, one with staff and one with volunteer leadership. And in the end, the groups came up with the exact same three priorities to pursue in the next few years. So yeah, it was really exciting to see that kind of thing, but the same ideas are floating around in everybody's heads or to some extent, we don't have the same scientific research questions popping in our heads as the investigators do, but we're seeing the same things. We're trying to address the same issues and get to the same place. And I don't think I mentioned our vision. I stated our, our, our mission, but the vision is truly inspiring. And I think a big reason for why we're all doing this together, but we, we very simply, our vision is to heal children through collaboration and discovery. What we're doing matters. Uh, the people who are trying to serve, whether by saying we, we are serving them through research or clinical care or on the back end by maintaining a membership database. We're all here to support that vision. Something else kind of exciting is that we, we, we see such tangible change in recent time that I think there's confidence we actually might see some of this. You know, it's an aspirational vision, but I think in some areas we're going to see cases where everyone say, wow, it, it's almost like we've achieved that, at least in some instances. There's a lot behind what it is we're all doing whatever part of the organization you're playing. There's just a couple of things that I want to get to before we end. And I know we're going long, but I wanted to bring up um, Pedra's relationships with the patient advocacy organizations. That is one thing that was made clear sort of from the outset, how important um, working with patients and families is was and is going to be. And I know that our past executive director, Sheila Rittenberg, really put into place this framework um, for patient advocacy organizations to be a part of PEDRA. And we have thankfully been able to run with that. And so could you talk a little bit about the patient advocacy groups, how we engage with them? And can you just talk a little bit about the patient advisory committee as well? Very early on, as you mentioned, patients were recognized as the primary stakeholder for everything that we're doing. So it's, it's there in our mission, it's there in our vision, it's, it's, it's there from day one when a clinician scientist decides to do what they're doing with their career. You're doing work to serve patients. As you mentioned, Sheila saw this very early on, early leaders saw this very early on. We didn't want to be working really hard on collaborative research in the field if what we were doing was disconnected from the patient perspective. I mean, I could go and make up a research question um, in five minutes. And if what I ultimately am doing doesn't matter to a patient who's living with that ease or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's not worth it. 
um, particularly when time is an issue, resources are an issue. So patient advocacy groups were instrumental in getting PEDRA off the ground. They provided uh, early support to help us form as an organization and have been there with us every step of the way as we've evolved over the past 10 years. What's been really exciting to see in the last few years is we've been able to sort of flip the model of engagement with patients where in the past, and it was a necessity and it was certainly harmonious and collaborative, but PEDRA had to sort of rely on patient advocacy groups as it did on all partners for resources to do what it wanted to do. We're at a point now where we are focused a lot more on giving back to the patient advocacy groups. So how can we invest in our relationships, both financially, with time, whatever it might be, to bring them into the fold of PEDRA research, make sure we're hearing them, make sure we're hearing a a relevant cross-section of their community and, and injecting what it is that they're doing into our work. That's really changed the way we work in recent years. So, you know, some organizations might have tremendous resources that allow them to support a group like PEDRA, come to conferences, contribute to grant funding, that kind of thing. But we're supporting all childhood skin diseases and uh, that some that are extremely rare diseases might not have terribly robust patient advocacy groups supporting those communities, but their voice is no less valid at the PEDRA table than any other. So we are making sure that we provide resources for everybody to get involved. One way that we've done this, that we're trying to do this, no one's doing it perfectly and we're included there, but a couple of years ago, we in 2019, we put in place a PEDRA patient advisory committee. So this is a group of representatives from currently 14 different disease spaces uh, within pediatric dermatology, we're constantly working to recruit more at the table to be a standing body within PEDRA as an organization who are familiar with PEDRA. They're available to provide feedback on research activities or research questions that are coming to the forefront. They know enough about PEDRA to sit at the table during a collaborative work group meeting, for example, and contribute, ask questions have a voice that actually shapes the way things move forward. Another thing that group is working hard to do is to identify research questions that matter to all of them. We're providing a unique way for patient advocacy groups from within the field of pediatric dermatology to kind of get out of their laser focus on their disease area, which is critical and they need to continue doing that. And I'm sure they are, but thinking about children suffering from skin diseases, there's a shared experience across every disease. Uh, there's shared burdens, there's shared opportunities, there's similar research questions, and there's a community worth being a part of. I think a child um, and a family would be open and interested in connecting with the experience from an individual or a family with a different disease, but within the same realm. And Pedra's been active in bringing those folks together, and it's really energizing to be at a meeting on a patient advisory committee, be at one of the patient breakout sections at our conference and see these sorts of interactions happen. That committee is in place within PEDRA. It's been there for a couple of years and I expect to see it continue to grow and for us to find even more meaningful ways to engage them with what it is that PEDRA is doing. So before we close, um, what is favorite memory of your time with PEDRA thus far? Oh, wow. Um, my favorite memory of PEDRA well, I guess, I mean, it's not really with Pedra, but one of my favorite memories is getting the job offer from Pedra. I remember <laughs> that very well. I remember I was in Washington, D.C. Um, for another, uh, uh, for an event, and it was uh, Max Scherzer bobblehead night at the Washington Nationals game. And I was feeling so happy, and I went down and got a ticket to the game and went to the game, and I probably will remember that more than any other baseball game I've ever been to, but 
there's so many great memories. I mean, I can think back. One thing that's full of fond memories is our last opportunity to meet in person at a PEDRA conference. So the 2019 PEDRA annual conference in Chicago. And one memory that jumps out from that is we interviewed Jason Fried for the keynote presentation at that session, uh, at that conference. Uh, Dr. Lisa Arkin and myself interviewed Jason Fried. It turns out I went to the same high school with, I never knew the guy, but the, this, the, the, the president and founder of Basecamp, uh, project management software. And at the end of his the interview and the Q&A session, one of the members from the audience got up and was just so excited about having seen the presentation and heard from Jason. She got up on stage and she gave him a hug. And it turned out she was a representative from one of our industry partners. And just she was so deeply into the environment and what it was we were doing and the presentation we provided. Just such a genuine display at a professional conference. Mm-hmm. That was a, a really cool thing to have, to have witnessed through PEDRA. But man, Jen, there's too many good experiences, too many good memories since then. So many uh, great memories. How about you, Jen? What, what would your favorite memory of Pedra be? Well, like you, I have many. Um, I think the the ones that stand out most in my mind are my first 